This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by PwC. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On June 26th, economic experts and business leaders held in-depth conversations live at the Washington Post about the impact of the tax law six months after it took effect and what is ahead for the next phase of tax reform in America. In this segment, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman, Texas Republican Representative Kevin Brady, assesses the political and policy outlook for phase two of tax reform. Let's listen. Good morning. I'm Robert Costa, national political reporter here with the Washington Post. Uh, happy to be joined by Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, Chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Thanks so much for taking the time this morning. You bet. Really appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. So, Chairman, just looking at the news over the last 24 hours, a lot of businesses are happy six months in on the tax law, but there also are some concerns about the President's trade policies. Do you share some of those concerns about the President's trade policies, even as they are happy about the tax law? You know, the answer is I do, and I think it uh, is having impact. But I'm, just to step back a minute, here we are. It is very early uh, in tax reform, just the, the impact, but the early signs are so very encouraging, really in six months. We've transformed the question from, in this country, where are the jobs to where are the workers, which is still a challenge, but a good one to have. We want a tax code built for growth of jobs, paychecks, the U.S. economy, and one that would leapfrog America back into that lead pack as one of the most competitive places on the planet. Uh, we've achieved that, and we're seeing that across the board. Um, I do think uh, some of the trade uh, uh, issues are creating un an uncertainty back home. Certainly in Texas, we're seeing this with our uh, local manufacturers for the most part in our energy industry as well. Uh, I think the president uh, has strong support for challenging China on their unfair trade practices. Look, they've been, they've been not just steel aluminum, but the forced tech transfers, uh, the stealing of IP, it is costing America tens of thousands of jobs. The challenge for this president, as it has for every president, is how do you do that successfully? Challenge China's misbehavior in the trade world uh, without damaging local jobs and businesses as you do it. And I think the key here, and just to leap ahead to your next question probably, is, um, is you have to have an exemption process, an exclusion process for fairly traded products um, that works, and frankly, neither are. Um, and that's where we continue to engage with the administration from USJR to Commerce in the White House on making those processes work because that's where you make sure um, you don't damage uh, and impact uh, that local economy. What about wages? Why are they not going up more in this country? So we saw a couple of things. So this has been a long-term challenge, and I think tax reform at the end of the day uh, solves this challenge. Uh, we are seeing wage increases for the first time in nearly 10 years in the first quarter, but that's a quarter. We have to let that continue to play out. I do think at the end of the day, uh, the prior panel talked about the incentives for new investment and new technology. Um, this tax code wasn't just about encouraging businesses to buy more stuff, 
more equipment, new technology. It was to invest in the productivity of their workers. That's what drives economic growth for the long term, and that's what drives wage growth for the long term. It's been missing from the U.S. economy for an awful long time. I don't think it's going to reappear overnight, but, but we got the fundamentals right in the new tax code, and over time it's going to drive that wage growth up. We saw the, the bonuses after the tax law was passed. Should we expect those same kinds of bonuses next year? So that'll be the call for those uh, companies. But clearly what we're seeing, besides the bonuses, um, here's an example, Russell Marine in Houston, 160 workers, so not major company, but a good mid-sized company. So very competitive industry. So they gave out almost a million dollars of bonuses. They raised pay by an average of 10%. They've already bought about $6 million of new equipment, including the largest um, movable crane in Texas. And they green-lighted the new company headquarters. I was at their old one. It's old, and they need something new. And when you ask that CEO, you know, what does this year look like? His answer was three words, best year ever. We're seeing that across the country. And, and Bob, I'll make one point. I think the best is yet to come on tax reform because so much of this new code was designed uh, to bring back jobs, investment, intellectual property, patents to the U.S., to create a giant sucking sound over time back to America. And when I travel around the country, it's already impacting where these new facilities will be, where the new research will be. That takes time. That, that takes long time uh, planning by a business, and that's where frankly, uh, trade issues enter into that decision-making as well. Businesses want that certainty. Um, and so armed with the competitive tax code, I think they're hopeful. They can see progress on the trade front toward fair agreements with China, for example, so that the uh, transition, these tariffs and the impact, frankly, fade away. Is there anything, though, the government or Congress can do or at least pay attention to making sure that Americans are sharing in the profits. The tax rate for corporations will remain lowered, but will companies continue to share some of those gains? You know, I think they will. What, what we do know is what happens under the old tax code. You know, paychecks for most families, and middle-class families especially, had been stagnant for a decade. Students coming out of school had very few opportunities, and, and it seemed like Every month we read in the Washington Post about another U.S. company inverting, heading overseas, moving something overseas. That's changed in a significant way. And so I think, yes, I think workers, especially if you're working in a small business today, the optimism of your small business uh, mom and pop is the highest in 45 years. U.S. manufacturers used to be the most pessimistic of any industry in America because they were seeing uh, all those jobs and manufacturing, everything head overseas, including the headquarters. So now they are the most optimistic in 20 years in making nearly eight out of 10 manufacturers are either making new investments, raising pay, uh, hiring more workers. All again, early but very positive signs. And so yeah, at the end of the day, this whole tax code was designed to drive wages up and create more opportunity for families. Throughout my reporting, some of the institutions that are most anxious, though, about the tax law are tax-exempt organizations like churches and universities. Do you have any message, perhaps reassurance, to them that different provisions 
could be pursued by Republicans in Congress in the coming months to try to address their concerns about their status and different taxes they now have to pay? Yes, so what I do know is that um, charitable contributions, uh, whether it's to your local church or your local university, uh, expand when the economy grows. Uh, they tend to contract when the economy is not doing well. We've seen that for too long in the United States. And so it, in the end, the net will be very positive for organizations who depend upon the generosity of Americans. We are looking at uh, some of those um, uh, fine tuning and tweaks on the tax code. Here's my point. Um, look, we just made major changes in this tax code through bold um, rates, a redesign to be competitive, lots of big changes. We ought to be open to making the improvements and fine tuning it as we go along because these are major changes. So yeah, we will be listening very um, authentically with uh, any organization that has improvements that you think we can make. I printed out the new 1040 form, the so-called postcard. Yeah. It, it is somewhat like a postcard, I guess, but do you think that this is a, the best version possible? Do you think any changes could be made? It seems like there are other scheduling forms. A lot of people file electronically with their sure. taxes. Was it, looking at back at this, this whole effort to make this a so-called postcard, was this effective and could any new changes be made to it? So I think it is from the simplicity standpoint. You know, I think here's, I'll just observe, there's a bit of a disconnect here between Washington, D.C. and the rest of the country. The simplicity and fairness of a postcard style system uh, is important to American families. And whether you like this form or something else, the fact is that 31 million more Americans won't have to itemize to be able to get their full tax cut. They'll be using the simplest form available. Nearly five million families won't have to figure their taxes twice because AMT, the alternative minimum tax, is no longer hanging over their heads. And for a lot of our local businesses who use the individual tax code, that's where they file, um, today they spend almost $23 billion and almost half a billion man hours uh, and women hours to uh, figure these complex depreciation schedules. They no longer have to do that because they're writing off those investments in the year they buy it. It's a, it's a complexity that has burdened, especially startup businesses, for a long time. That's gone. So for families and local businesses, especially small ones, the postcard style system is a simpler and better way to file. What are the economic costs to the president's immigration policies that have caused so much controversy recently on separating parents from their children? You know, I don't, I don't know that there's an economic cost there. Um, here's, here's sort of addressing maybe the larger picture here. So now the big question facing the country is where are the workers? Um, we're leaving economic growth on the table because now we have a competitive tax code, the opportunities to invest and grow and expand. But every, everywhere I travel in the country, especially back home where we live, uh, businesses of all sizes are just starved for more workers. I think the solution is an all of the above strategy. So one, getting immigration policy right, including the bill, the four pillars bill we are going to vote on this week. Is that going to pass? You know, I hope so because but it is not. unprecedented border security. It is, 
and the optimism of our local um, folks. Look, this is tough stuff, uh, no doubt about it. It's eluded this country's solution for 20 or 30 years. We have an opportunity here. I hope we take it to do it. But back to the all of the above. So you got to get immigration policy right to make sure it works for the economy long term. Secondly, you got to get workforce right. Look, we are we have all these myriad of job training programs, apprenticeships, all this, but they're just not turning out the numbers we need. That has to change. Then thirdly, Ways and Means Committee has already acted on this, but in welfare, we have millions of Americans sort of trapped on the sidelines that I think the government's sort of given up on. Uh, we're not. We think we can move them to the front lines of employment and help them keep that job as well. So I think all three of those uh, give us the opportunity to create a workforce that really allows the U.S. economy to take off for the longer term. You mentioned welfare. Is there any congressional appetite among you and your colleagues to combine the labor and education departments like this administration's proposed? You know, I think it's sort of too early to tell. I think members are just starting to digest the idea of that. I do know in this new welfare reform bill, which is uh, jobs for success, we're actually uh, restoring the promise of the new Gingrich, Bill Clinton 96 welfare reforms, um, but we're upping it even further to put more focus on those uh, who want to get back into the workforce and doing that. We really create the coordination back home at the states where you're tying in for every, every person in welfare who's work eligible, they'll have an individual plan on how to, you, how to get you, Bob, back into the workforce. That includes looking at food stamps, housing, transportation, child care. And the, and the new goal isn't to get you into a job for two weeks. New goal is to get you into a job and keep you there so you can start that career. And that means we're surrounding you with better services to allow you to do that. And, and so I think the House is already starting to move on some of the concepts the White House has proposed in the reorganization. Chairman, you talk a lot about certainty for businesses and how you believe the tax law provides some of that. But when I look at the calendar, you think there's a potential government funding showdown this September, just a couple months before the midterm elections. Should businesses expect congressional Republicans to be able to come to some kind of agreement and, and pass a bill? Or will there maybe be a, a government shutdown if the president pushes for his proposed border wall and the billions he needs for that? So I think, I think the government will continue operating. I think we'll find a solution there. Um, you know, I continue to hope that uh, we can find some solutions this week, both on security, uh, visa reforms, and uh, in fairness for the DACA kids. I'm hopeful that even if that doesn't succeed, it sort of raised the profile of some of the solutions that we could put together to address this issue for the long term. What gives you that confidence, though, that there won't be a shutdown? Well, I just think uh, in, the in the conferences that I'm in among House Republicans, especially the last four, uh, I've heard some of the most thoughtful discussions on immigration, visa, and, and effective border security than I've heard in a long time. Clearly, uh, the same conference that's come together on, on tax reform, uh, on IRS reform, on addressing the opioid crisis, and balancing regulation, I think those so same dynamics are in place that we can advance if not an ultimate solution, um, some of the key parts that could form an ultimate solution. 
speaking of certainty, a lot of businesses I've spoken to in recent days say they also have some questions about where is the House leadership going in terms of its makeup. Do you think there's any argument to have a House leadership election before November? I don't. Uh, I think, uh, frankly, Speaker Ryan is the best person to lead this conference uh, through the balance of the year, just as he has for his time as Speaker. He unifies us. We have a, a bold economic agenda that we're pursuing. And so I think that ought to remain in place, mainly because we, not only the quality of that leadership team, um, but because we need to be focused on delivering for the American people to make the best case for November. And then, after the election, we'll come back together, determine what our leadership should be. When you're talking to your colleagues in, in the House GOP, what are the exemptions or deductions, maybe two or three, that they continue to bring up to you in recent months that you really want to perhaps pursue before the election or, or in, the, in the next year? Yeah, so permanence, without a doubt, is the number one um, uh, request for middle-class families and for those who work in small businesses, our local small businesses, because that permanence creates certainty over time. It actually contributes to growth, and frankly, they deserve that permanence. It would have been there but for the Senate rules. So I think in 2.0, tax reform 2.0, uh, permanency for those middle-class families in those small businesses will be the centerpiece. What is the timeline for 2.0? So here's the schedules I see it. Uh, I think the Ways and, Ways and Means Committee timetable will be to uh, begin circulating a draft to our House Republicans when we return after the 4th of July break. We'll spend the month listening to our colleagues in the House about what they want to see in 2.0 uh, and, and incorporating those changes. I expect to see uh, the legislative outline released in, in early August with votes in the fall, depending on when leadership uh, wants to schedule them. I don't see it as one bill. I see it as a package of two, three, or four approaches with permanency being one of them. Um, this tax code is huge. And there are areas, for example, in retirement savings that we didn't get to in tax reform. The House had prepared a, a lot of work. The Senate at the time had not, but since has done very good work in this area as well. And so we think the timing is right to help families save more and earlier in their life, whether it's for health care or school for their kids or retirement in the long term. We think there's some good ideas there. And, and a, a point I'll make is that 2.0 is really about changing the culture in Washington. Away from the wait 30 years in between tax reform, watch America fall farther behind our competitors, watch this tax code get junked up with a bunch of special interest provisions. That's the old way. Uh, the new culture is to continuously improve every year, to never fall behind our competitors again. And what I've asked our colleagues to do is to mirror what the most successful organizations we know do, which is they wake up, business or your organization probably wakes up every day asking, how do we become more competitive, more innovative, better? I want Congress every year to look at the tax code and ask themselves exactly the same three questions. How do we become more competitive, innovative, better? And so I sense the momentum on the doing. House side for this 2.0, but can you give me a clear sense of, will the Senate follow through? 
uh, this fall on 2.0? Uh, you can move a lot of stuff out of the House, but will the Senate actually pick it up? Or have they, is Leader McConnell giving you a private signal, we're done for the so, year for tax? So w I think the House's job is to develop the best 2.0 package to send to the Senate. I think the Senate is vitally interested in what can get 60 votes you know, that they can pass because we won't have the reconciliation, uh, unfortunately, won't have the reconciliation instructions um, in place uh, because of the budget. And so our job is to deliver the, deliver the very best ideas. And I'm confident Leader McConnell and the Senate Republicans will choose those areas they have the most interest in. And let's move something to the president's desk. But objectively, that means probably just before the election. Probably well, I don't know about the timing Senate. on right. that. In but you're the setting Senate. up a future, a future move in the Senate, but maybe not before the election. Leave that to Leader McConnell. But but we will be moving forward in the House um, this fall. I did want to ask before we close about a big picture question. Critics of the Republican Party often bring up the tax law, and they say the Republican Party. Uh, did all this, the, it, it dealt with President Trump's conduct and his behavior, uh, may have some private concerns or public concerns about it, but they did it because they wanted the tax law. You've seen this kind of criticism from Steve Schmidt, the veteran consultant, George Will, the longtime columnist. What do you make of those criticisms when you hear them, which are, as you know, are out there, that the Republicans did too much to try to get a tax law passed and did too little to counter President Trump? So I disagree. Um... I think Republicans work best when we're united behind an agenda. And I know in the House, as we developed our Better Way agenda, six top priorities for the country, including tax reform, uh, balanced regulation, rebuilding the military, all those key things, welfare reform as well, um, that we work closely with the president and continue to do on that agenda. I think that's where we deliver most for the American public. Do Republicans uh, have differences with this president as we have with others, Republicans and Democrats? Absolutely so. Um, but I still am convinced that when we are focused and unified on an agenda that actually grows this economy and helps families prosper and, and leaps frogs America to the front competitively, that's where we're at our best. And so we'll continue to work that agenda with this president. Because there is that alarmism that, that's out there about President Trump, even in pockets of your own party. Yet there's also some who say everything's going fine. Well, I think, look, there are honest disagreements. We saw that under President Obama as well um, in a number of cases. And we disagree with President Bush. You know, while he was a leader coming from Texas, we even had some honest disagreements there. I think that's to be expected. Um, that's why, again, uh, personalities, and how you and strategies are sort of a uh, in Washington a major focus, but I think the results solutions are where we really deliver, and that's where I think we work the president best. A couple minutes left. Who inside of this administration is really the point person on economic policy? Sometimes it's it's an open question for us reporters. Is it Secretary Mnuchin, Larry Kudlow, Kevin Hassett? Who really is the driving force beyond the president? So the answer is yes. I think on those, uh, look, they've got a lot of talent over there. And Secretary Mnuchin did a remarkable job uh, on tax reform uh, and continues to as we're working through a number of these uh, trade issues. Kevin Hassett has been a longtime thought leader on the economy that many of us 
Republicans and conservatives have always looked to um, for solutions there. Larry Kudlow as well in a major way. And so I think the president's got um, some very key economic uh, minds and leaders around them, and we work very closely. I, I love working with them. Final question about you personally. This is an insider question, but I, I've covered Capitol Hill for a long time. And uh, the leadership race, any consideration at all to jumping in the leadership race at, at some level in the coming months? No. <laughs> if I do, I'll schedule it for the fourth of never. <laughs> yeah. So look, we have, you know, I'm hopeful our leadership, one, uh, I'm hopeful we, we uh, continue to lead as a majority. I think Kevin McCarthy deserves to move up. Steve Scalise behind him, and I hope the whole leadership team, frankly, uh, is able to advance as well. They're a great team. Who's your pick for whip? So, um, in the majority, um, who's announced? I'm not sure. I'm asking you. Okay, so we'll, uh, uh, we'll let those announce. The good news is, in the House, we've got, we are, we, we are, the talent pool is rich. So, we're blessed. You could always say Frank Underwood, right? He was, he, was the, he was the whip in House of Cards. Anyway, this is, we really appreciate your time. Uh, Chairman Kevin Brady of the House Ways and Means Committee, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. And if you want to watch video clips from today's program or hear about upcoming programs, please visit WashingtonPostLive.com. And thanks to everyone here in the audience and those who joined us online. Thank you, Chairman. Thanks, sir. Thanks, sir. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.